theyeshiva.net.
Margan, the niggin that we just played, <coughs> the song is known as the Paltaver Niggin, or Niggin Mi Paltava. Paltava is a city in the Ukraine. Actually, my mother's father comes from there, came from there. And um, my great-grandfather, my mother's father's father, was a rav in a city, in a shul in Poltava called the Soldatska Shul, the Shul of the Soldiers. Hadich is in the Poltava area in the Ukraine. The rav of Poltava was a Jew named Rabbi Yaakov Mordechai Bez Pelov. Bez Pelov. Rabbi Yaakov Mordechai Bez Pelov. And um, when he would daven, he would sing this niggin. I think he composed the niggin. He was from the great minds and hearts in Chassidus Chabad, a chassid of the Rebbe Maharash, a chavrus of the Rebbe Rashab, a big man and uh, a great man, I should say. And when he would sing, when he would daven, he would... Uh, Chabad, it was very customary that in the middle of davening, they would sing Nagunim people themselves to themselves. It's part of the, his as part of the meditation and mindfulness during davening. So he would, sometimes they would f- complete chapters, sections of davening was with a nigan. The Paltaverov, or in the middle of davening, they would just stop and meditate and, and sing a nigan. So the Paltaverov would sing this nigan. That's why it's called the Paltaver nigan. Because he was from Paltava, the city of Paltava, he was the Rav in Paltava. So this is known as the Paltava Rav's Nigan. It's a very, very powerful, uh, very powerful Nigan. We sang it a few times. Reb Nuchem always likes to ask, Reb Nuchem always asks to sing it. Today is Chafav, the yard site of the father of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Hagon, Hachasid, Hamakubu, Rablevi Yitzchak, Berabarach Schneer, Schneerson, who passed away Chafav, Tavshin Dalad, 20th of Av, 1944, middle of the war. He was arrested by the Soviets in 1939, before Pesach. He was the Rav of the city of the Dnepropetrovsk, and also in the Ukraine, used to be called Yakatrinoslav. And his work to preserve Yiddishkeit in the Soviet Union was legendary. He was the rock of Ukraine. And in 1939, they finally arrested him, and uh, he was exiled to Kazakhstan place called Chile, a little far varf in a village, and ultimately he got permission to go to Almata, also in Kazakhstan, and there, from the horrible conditions and the terrible persecutions, he fell ill, and he uh, succumbed to his illness, and he passed away on this day, Chaf of Tavshendalad, so we'll learn L'zeche Nishmasi HaKadoshev HaTahira, it's Kedai also to give tzedakah, you can learn Mishnayis, and uh, really an extraordinary person. You don't have to look far, but to see the type of son who he and his wife brought to the world. So we're middle of uh, we're middle of the Maimer Anila Doidi Tovshin Yud Beis. We were focusing on davening. The Maimer were up to page one thirty eight. A little before the paragraph that starts Vihine. This is the We spoke about the difference of Torah and Tefillah at length. I'm not going to review it, because you know that when I start reviewing, since we want to move on, and the whole Maim is about the stages of Tefillah, so I should also move on and not get stuck. So after explaining at length the difference of Torah and Tefillah, which I hope you understood at least somewhat, and if not, 
you'll review the previous shiurim. We already had two shiurim in this maimer. And even if you did understand, hopefully you'll review the shiurim in the maimer. He spoke about the fact in, the, in this paragraph that tefillah is a sulam, it's a ladder. And the ladder is mutzav arza, but v'roshem hashamayma, the top of the ladder reaches heaven. And a ladder has stages. You don't skip the rungs, only in unique situations. Usually you climb the steps of the ladder in an incremental and organized fashion. So he said, Tefillah starts with Haidu. Haidu Lashem Kiru And the key word is Haidu. Haidu is Haida. Haida means thanks. You know, Ani Modelecha, Todaraba. Right, I'm so thankful to you, I'm grateful to you, Maida Ani. It also comes from the word Lahoidais. Like also thank you. We say Taiv Lahoidais Lashem, but then there's also the concept of Haida, which means Amaida to you, which is a form of surrender or a form of submission, like Amaida to somebody. It's also connected to the word Vidui, which is also a form of submission. I confess. When I say I'm sorry, I confess. Shamanu Bagadnu, we say Vidui Tachnon is also a form of haidah. And it starts off with a general haidah, haidah klal, haidah klal is called haidu. He says, but before that there's maidani. That's the real opening of davening, because the moment we wake up, even before we wash our hands, we say maidani lefanachem alechai v'kayam, shechazarte b'nishmasi b'chem l'rabba munasach. The person still has tumma on the fingers, but nonetheless, because every true is in a shama, and he said, So the person says, True. It's not hypnimious, it's not internalized. A person just woke up, but it has a maila. The maila is that it comes from the etzem, it comes from the core. It's not sophisticated, it's not developed, it's not fully internalized. It's before Berches HaShachar. Berches HaShachar, he said, is the time of his Chalkos HaKoychus. It's a time that we identify the different functions of the body and the different functions of biology, the different systems that make our organism work. We start off with There's different aschayas in the seder of the brachas, but the common denominator is that you go through the brachas and each bracha is not stam. When you say brachas, it's kedai to be ma'erin. People say brachas, Already from you know when, from when they're children they don't think it's kedai brachas in many ways we see from here maidani and brachas is really the yisoid of the day it's the prerequisite for davening also there are those who have a minute to say brachas and shul over there it's mamar sometimes upgezakt even those minik chabad is to say the brachas in the house right when you wake up even if you're davening. You're going to shul later, half an hour, an hour, you're going to learn. You first say brachas. And it's very important when you say brachas to, to, to think about the brachas. If you need an English siddur or a Yiddish siddur, another siddur, it's kedai. But every bracha, what it's saying, it's identifying another system that's working. Each one that it defines a different kayach that's functioning in the body, as he puts it, it's asiyas hakelim. It's the structure of human life. Maida'ani is before this. Maida'ani is a haidah that encompasses the person completely from head to toe. There's no division because it comes from the etzim nefesh And it touches Hashem in the etzim. Maida'ani lefanecha, beyond names. Later we say names. Hashem. The reason there's no names in Maida'ani is because... You can't say Hashem's name because it's before Natilis Yadayim. The Pnimiyaz Dika reason is because you're talking to Atzmos. You're talking directly. You're touching. Your essence is touching the essence. Still, this is a preparation for davening. Because in terms of Giluyim, which means in terms of consciousness, it's called a Hidah Klolis. It's not yet Shaykh to Pnimiyaz. person just woke up. It's the first glimmer of consciousness. Maidani Lefanach. Then, begins already a Seder. So after we explain Maida'ani, which was really a parenthesis, he said the beginning of davening is Haidu. He says, really there's something more. And that's the that's the Maida'ani Lufanach. So now he goes back to the Haidu. Yeah. Amnam. 
138, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 7 lines from the top. Everything is an experience. In Chesidus, there's nothing gechapt. Every moment is an experience. It requires Yishuv Hadas, Mesinus, Pnimius, you don't do it, stam, you know. There's an experience there. There's a pnimius there. Nafshi Yatsabadabra. So after Maidani, there's Natila Sidaim, there's Birchis Hashacha. So he says, Shindade Kaichis Pnimim. You already have the focus on the Kaichis Pnimim. There's already the development, the focus, the tuning in to the individual Kaichis of a person. Now the ladder begins. And what's the ladder, he says? Even here, the person may not be shaykh yet to any understanding or comprehension. Since, however, there was already an identification of the division of the Kaychas, there's Noisin Lasech Vivin is the first bracha in the Nusach of the Arizal. The second bracha is Pekechivrim. Noisin Lasech Vivin is Hashem gives the rooster understanding wisdom to distinguish between day and night. Those of you who have some roosters in Monsi, or have some chickens know that the Sechvi has been Efashlofnesht. It's not like we Mefashloft. No such a thing that the Sechvi misses Vasikin. Oira Shachar, Aniya Oira Shachar, Vena Shachar Moira Oisi, David Amelech says. I woke up the dawn. Oira Shachar, Eina Shachar Moira Oisi. Dawn doesn't wake me up. The Sechvi has been a Lahavchim Benyamu Venlaila. What's up is the Sechvi? Interesting thing, because the Sechvi, the rooster, is Mavchim Ayyem Ben not after its day. After its day, I'm also Mavchim Ayyem Ben Not only a rooster is Mavchim. Probably every animal, most animals are Mavchim Ayyem Ben and sometimes even people are Mavchim Ayyem Ben The Chiddush of a rooster is that even when it's dark, before it starts Yom, he knows, the rooster knows. That it's gonna get, it's gonna, dawn is gonna break in a few moments. Even though the rooster doesn't have a calendar, he doesn't have a stopwatch, he doesn't have zmanimmonsi.com uh, to be able to see when Alois is. The rooster has nothing. He sits in Fahaktinus coop, wherever he is, but he knows Yoim is coming. Even before it's, do- even before it's light. And in life, that's a very big skill. It's not just, the knowledge, the, technically, that day is coming. It's that even when it's dark, you know that dawn is about to break. So that's the first thing, the wisdom, the perceptiveness, to know the difference between light and darkness. That's a big thing. To know the difference, what's light and what's darkness. What's confusion and what's not confusion. The moment you could say, this is darkness, you're already in a good place. They tell Amaisa that there was once a, Fabrengen among Chesedim, and the wine, they were saying, Lechaim, and the wine was finished. So the Balabas, the owner of the house, asked somebody to go down to the cellar, or the person, the Mashpi, asked somebody to go down to the cellar and, uh, and, and get wine. So the owner of the house told him, you go down, and you go here and here and there, you'll see a case of wine or barrels of wine, and you could bring one up. So this person goes down the stairs to the cell. But it's pitch dark. So he gives a scream. He says, Oi, it's pitch dark. I can't see anything. So the owner of the house says, in Yiddish, he says, Nishgedaiget, Shtei aparmenut, Zen. You know, when you stand in darkness for a few minutes, your eyes become accustomed to it, and it becomes a little easier to discern things. So he said, stay there in the darkness for a few minutes. You'll get accustomed to the darkness. Your eyes will adjust, and you'll be able to figure out where the wine is. In the beginning, you're startled, you're overwhelmed. So he gave a scream from the cellar. He says, That's exactly what I'm scared of, that I'm going to become accustomed to the darkness. That once you're here for a few minutes, he says, I don't want to do that. 
which was, of course, a very powerful message. The challenge is not that there's darkness. The challenge, even more than that, is the person becomes accustomed to the darkness. In other words, the confusion becomes reality, and the depression becomes happiness, and the uncertainty becomes the life, and the darkness becomes the light. Is the first bracha we make, according to some nuschayos. Then there's pekeya chivrim, vision. You open my eyes, physically and spiritually, vision. Matir asurim, the person is not in prison. I could stand up, I can flex my muscles. My body moves, my joints are moving, etc. Once you have this chalkos of koiches pnimim, he says... So even though there's no hasagi, it's the beginning of davening. And what's davening? Davening is malmata lamail. It's not teira. Teira is Hashem talking to me. Davening is I'm talking to Hashem, so I'm bringing in my whole metzias, my whole reality. But I already know the difference between hoidu Hashem and kiru bishmai. The hoida hi ba'avaya, ukriya hi bishmai. Hashem, you say hoidu. Shmoi, you say kiru. What's the difference? The b'shem avaya shayeche double vat. Or b'shmoi shuwa ada yashnein yana kriya v'amshacha lamata. Hoidu l'ashem. Kiru b'shmoi. When you're talking about l'ashem, over there the right word is hoidu. What's hoidu? Hoidu is hoida. Hoida doesn't mean I really get it. I'm hoida to you. Somebody's arguing with his friend and having a big argument. You're having a modern expression. Moidim chachamim l'reb meir. Right? In other words, even though I disagreed with you, your arguments are so powerful, I have to be moid. I have to surrender. I have to submit. Do I really, really get it? Love dafka. I was arguing with you. But now your arguments are persuasive, so I surrender. So sometimes the haida comes because I'm fully, fully on board. Sometimes I'm moida even though I'm not fully on board. But I'm I, I, I know that this is true. I know that this is right. Sometimes you're not sure how something is right, but you know that it's right. And therefore you're maida. So he says, Hoidu in Hashem. When it comes to Havai, Yudkei Vavke, over there is Shayach It's not Hasaga. Shmoi is only a name. A name is not the essence. A name is your reputation, your Ha'ara, your light, the way you're perceived. Over here there could already be Kiru. Call out to his name. Call out to his name. And when you call somebody, what happens? The person turns around to you. The person comes to you. You say, Yankel, come here, right? David, Sprinze, Fege. You call and they turn around to you. They, they're already coming to you. They walk over to you. At least they turn to you. In Shmoy, there could be a Kiru. In Havaya, there can only be Haidu, Haida. So the person knows enough to be able to say, Haidu, Lavaya, Kiru, Vishmoy, Haidu, Vami, Mali, but this is still just the beginning of davening, the beginning of the latter, which is a general submission. What does it mean a general? We'll soon see what we mean by a general submission. After you start davening, what's the first step? With haidu, it's called psukidizimra. And we know psukidizimra. If you look in any siddur, right? You have a system. There's Maida'ani, there's the brachas before davening. There is what we call the karbonus. You say the parsha of the Akedah. You say the parsha of karbonus. The Tamit Shul Shachar. Trumas Hadeshen. Parsha Saktoiris. which is also about karbonus. And then starts the davening. So according to the Nusach Svart, you start off with Hoidul Hashem Kiru Bishmoi. Hoidiv Amam and then soon after, you do Baruch Shamar. Now starts a section in Davening called Psuke de Zimre. Why is it called Psuke de Zimre? Psuke de Zimre means the verses of praise. Because basically Psuke de Zimre is, it starts with Habracha, Baruch Shamar, Vaya Elam. And then we go through different Mizmairim of Tehillim. We start off with Mizmal Asaida, Yehichvoid, which are all from David HaMelech's Tehillim, and then we do the last Kapitlach, right? Asha Yoshe Vesecha Yaluchasela is Tehillim Kapitl Kuf Memhei, till the end, Tehillim Kuf Nun, that finishes Haleluka Lugel Belukel Bekotshay, and then starts this section with Vayivarech David and Shiris Hayam and Yishtabach. That ends Psuke de Zimra, we say Baruchu, if there's a minion, you say Baruchu, and you go to Birchis Krishna. This is called Psuke de Zimra, the verses of praise. So he says, Shemesaper Bem Shmachesh Shalmaka. In Psuke de Zimra, 
one tells, one speaks about, one tells the story of the praises of Hashem. Even though, here there's also no real avoid of hasaga, comprehension. Rather, what there is primarily is hispilus. Hispilus means the vestnispal. The word hispilus comes from the word paula, which means you're affected, you're moved. The word hispilus means you're moved. You're moved from the praises of Hashem. But it's not hasaga. It's not real comprehension. What does it mean? In Haidu, not only is there no Hasaga comprehension, there's also no Hispilus. You're not even really moved. There's just Haida. You, you, you acknowledge. You acknowledge. You're not moved. In Psukha de Zimra, there's already Hispilus. Hispilus means you're moved. In Haidu, you acknowledge. You're not moved necessarily emotionally. In Psukkah de Zimra, there's already a hispilus. There's already an emotional reaction. The Avshein in Masigasein, even though he doesn't really grasp a chari with Psukkah de Zimra, who sipur gdulasi is barach binyan isavos yesh mayayin. What does Psukkah de Zimra focus on? It speaks about Hashem's infinity being expressed in the creation of something from nothing. That's what basically all Pesukah is. Starts off those words, Baruch Sha'amar. You always see things from the first words, Baruch Sha'amar v'ha'yahayla. He spoke, and the world came into being. Baruch Hu, Baruch Ha'imavaisa, Baruch Ha'isavereshes. And then we start off, and throughout Pesukah we speak a lot about creation. All the Mizmorim, in one way or another, it focuses on this element of creation, that element of creation, whether it is whether it's the different types of nevroim, from snow to ravens, from animals to fire, from vapor to mountains, from insects to creeping, crawling, uh, tiny little creatures, from people to chayis and behemis and malcheeretz. We go through the various phenomena of nature and expressing it, and discussing how it's essentially a creation, and a continuous creation of Hashem. How creation happens is not something we can comprehend. But we could be moved from it. We can be affected by it. We can be stirred by it, even if we don't mamish get it. To explain this, the reason Yeshmeyayin, the creation of Yeshmeyayin, is not comprehended by the created beings is because when you comprehend something, that means it's pnimiyistic, it's internalized. The word hasaga comes from the word musag. What does musag mean? Hasaga, it's grasped. Lahasig, in Hebrew you'll say, you want to grasp it, you want to reach it. Hasaga means I reached it, I got it. I got it. I have it in my clutches, I have it in my fist, or I have it in my brain. If every created being would comprehend Yeshmeyayin, if we would get it, then we would cease to exist as separate beings. Because if I would see that my entire Metzius, my whole reality is being created right now, Yeshmeyayin. There would be no way that I could speak about it. The I would cease to be. The Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya says in Tanya Pedik Mem Gimel, the Gemara says, Ezel Chachem, Haroyes HaNoilad. Who's a Chachem? Somebody who sees the Noilad. It's translated, the one who sees the future, the one who sees what will be born. Unwise people see the present, and wise people see the future. And really wise people see not only the immediate future, but the long-term future. And truly wise people see far, far ahead of time. Yeah, they see ahead 100 years, 200 years. In everything in life, I'm eating something, but what's the future? What's going to be in an hour? I'm saying something, but what's the future? According to this, it should have said, 
sheyivolet. He sees that which will be born. Harayas Hanoilad means he sees that which is born, not that which will be born. The point of Raya Sanoilad is that even though now it's pregnant, it's going to be born. Raya Sanoilad though doesn't mean that, it means that he sees that which is born. So the Alter Rebbe says, Ezo Chacham Raya Sanoilad means a Chacham is somebody who sees that the whole world is being born right now, Yeshmeyayin. That's Raya Sanoilad. A Chacham is somebody who sees that right now creation is emerging, Yeshmeyayin. We look at creation static. So Davelt, what's a real chacham? He sees the process of birth. He sees that the whole existence, every moment of existence, everything of existence, including myself, including my brain, including my ability to be, including every element, is right now being born something from nothing, from the divine energy. When a person realizes this, that's chachma. Chachma is kayachma. Kayachma is bitl, like we learned many times. So if, if the nivra would really get yeshmeyayin, we would cease to be as separate beings. Because it would be obvious that my whole metzius is what? Is just a manifestation of divine energy. Similar to what's explained in Torah, by the Balatanya, about Adam and Chava knowing good and evil when they eat from the tree. What's the problem if they knew good and evil? Malachim could know good and evil. A person, when you know something, it becomes part of you. So when Adam and Chava know about Toivin Ra, they become Toivin Ra. Because a person is a Pnimi, a Malach is a Makif. A person is a Pnimi meaning... When I know something, it's part of me. There's no such a thing. I know something and it's completely objective. It's nothing, not connected to me. If I know it, it becomes part of my experience. This is the greatness of an Adam. An Adam is a Pnimi. What's that a Pnimi? Everything in the world is connected to an Adam. Everything is internalized in an Adam. We could find ourselves in everything and we can find everything in ourselves. So when a person knows something, that knowledge is who I am. It becomes part of who I am. We don't live in a way that I could know something and it doesn't affect me. If you know it, it's part of you. Malachim could know about Ra as objective reporters. You know, people say, I'm objective. There's no such a thing you're objective. If you know about it, it's already part of who you are. Are you learning about somebody else's life and another reality? But the very fact that you know that reality, the way we know something is by finding it in ourselves. It already becomes part of me. I'm a changed person. When a malach knows toiv and ra, it doesn't affect him. Because the malach could know something not in an internalized fashion. He knows there's such a thing called ra. When a person knows it, it's already becomes part of me. The ra is inside of me. So when Adam and Chava become yoidei toiv ra, it redefines their reality forever. Now they need to do bitter. Now starts avoda sabiru. Now they have to separate between the toiv and the ra and figure out what's toiv and what's ra. That's why the first question is ayeka. Who are you? So he says yidia shemenevrayim yidia pnimi is velachain soifu lifel alanevrayim ulazayis ilu ayu anevrayim asigim inyan isavos yeshmayayin. The top of one thirty nine. If the nevrayim would comprehend yeshmayayin, he needs soif soif. Ultimately, it would penetrate them, and they would cease to be separate. This is similar to what it says in Tanya. Second part of Tanya. If the physical eye would have permission to see the divine nothingness, Ayin Eliki means the divine nothingness. Every created being would cease to be a separate entity. This is what it says in Tanya. What's the Havana? When I look at the world, what do I see? I'm looking, I see a table, I see a cup of coffee, I see a video camera, I see some very special souls on Zoom. I know that there are some special souls on the yeshiva.net, but I can't see you. Hopefully you could see me. I see a mic. I see a chair. That's what I see. I see a window. 
Soon I'll probably see some deer, hopefully come for the morning visit, come to the shear. Or at least a couple of squirrels, we see trees. This is the real world that we see, this is what we see. There was, so the Al-Tarebbe says, if the eye, it's half Ladika words, if the eye would have permission, meaning if the eye was transparent, if the eye would be able to detect a deeper form of reality, what would we see in everything? We wouldn't see a yesh. We would see the ayin ha'aliki. Ayin ha'aliki means divine nothingness. How do you call divine nothingness? Yesh me ayin, something from nothing. Not nothing, Hashem. He's not nothing. Fakert, mimcha hakol, from him comes everything. The pshat is, in our world we call it nothing. Why do we call it nothing? Because we have no way to grasp it. For me, something that's physical exists. Divine energy, my eyes don't tell me it exists, my ears don't hear it, my nose does not smell it, and my hand does not touch it, and my mouth does not taste it. So what makes it a yesh? A piece of cake, or even a cucumber I can taste. A table I can touch. A person I can see. My hand I can feel. I can. Your voice I can hear. But elikus, the divine energy, it's ayin. It's nothing. What does it mean it's nothing? From the perspective of my tools, it doesn't exist. It's called ayin. But the truth is it's the other way around. That ayin is much more yesh than anything else. Because the whole yesh that we are experiencing comes from that ayin. And is therefore batalagabe that ayin. You know, when the Rebbe said this in Tanya, he wrote this in Shari Yichid Vamunapeda Gimel, it's the late 1700s. It was hard for people to understand. What does this mean if the eye would have permission you would see? Okay. The mice with the Kajnitz Samagid. The Heliki Kajnitz Samagid. So he was, so what they say, before he passed away. Rabbi Sual of Kajnitz. He passed away the same year like the Balatanya or a year later. Tafkofay and Gimel, Tafkofay and Dalit, 1813, 1814. He was a Talmud of the Magid, Avoidus Yisrael, the So they say that before he passed away, his son was there. And uh, his son says, his son was holding, holding his father's hand. So his father, the Koshnet Samagad, tells his son, he says these words, Ich bin Shainish King Gif. I don't have a body anymore. I'm not a body anymore. I'm not a body anymore. He was moments before he passed away. He says, I'm not a body. So his son was holding his hand. He says, Tata, ich, in, in, in a Polish Yiddish, ich gif. I feel your body. What do you mean you're not a body? He asked his father, I feel your body. He was holding his goof. So the Bishral Kajnitsa told him, the taps mid gif fills the gif. You're touching me with your body, so you're experiencing a body. The tools that we use, the instruments that we use to define reality, those are the instruments that will determine what the reality is, and they will not be able to go beyond themselves. If you didn't understand what I just said, listen over, because this is critical. Each of us has tools through which we determine reality. And they ascertain what reality is and we can't get further. The tops mit gif fills the gif. You're touching me with your goof. Of course you're going to feel goof. You're not going to feel anything outside of goof. You don't have, you're touching me with goof. So what do you want to relate to? Ayin. You're touching with yesh. You're going to get yesh. You're not going to get ayin. And this is the edelkeit of pnimius. The edelkeit of chsidis is to start using different tools to which to detect reality. You have to use different tools. It's also true very much psychologically. We process stories that happen. The tools that we use to process those stories determine what those stories are. MS, Rebezidiel MS. The tools, one of the, one of the, one of the most important things you have to teach your clients, your patients, your friends is the stories are based on the tools I'm using to process those stories. And if I only have three tools, you know, if I have in my, in my treasure chest a hammer 
and a screwdriver and a plier, and they all have one size. The screwdriver, the plier, everything is, 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 is fits into that. If I have in my head three ways by which to process stories, every story becomes part of this. I have to open up myself to different tools. So when Al-Tarebbe wrote this in Tanya, it seemed very difficult to understand. What is the meaning of this? I mentioned this to you, I think, once, when we were learning maybe via Daita, via Daita Moskva, that there was a great physicist, he's considered the, the father of quantum quantum theory, his name was Max Planck, and he said something, I remember when I saw it the first time, it was startling to me, and I'm, I can't tell you exactly what he meant, because I'm not a quantum, I'm not a physicist, and I'm not a quantum physicist, and I'm not a quantum theorist, and I'm not an expert on Planck, who was a brilliant man, he won a Nobel Prize for it. I think it was a shtikl chavrusa with Albert Einstein at some point. They, they, they spoke or they learned together. They studied together. But he said a line. I'm going to share with you the line. I'm not saying it verbatim, but the teichen is from him. He said, we regard matter, we, we, we regard consciousness as a derivative of matter. He says, that's not the case. All matter is a derivative of consciousness. Now listen to those words. We always looked at Consciousness, consciousness is the way we look at the world. It comes from matter. Matter is a fact. This cup is a fact. This table is a fact. You hear it. You hear it. It's a fact. I'm not dreaming. It's not a chalam. Consciousness is a derivative of matter. Now the question is how I look at the table, what I think of the table, what the table does for me. Do I like the table? Do I not like the table? Is it too small? Is it too big? Is it too hard? Is it too soft? Do I want to change the table? Fine. This coffee is a metzius. I like the coffee. It's too mild. It's too strong. It's, it's this gesundheit. This is a metzius. I like my nose. I don't like my nose. It's too long. It's too. Sh- but it's a metzius. Consciousness comes from matter. He says that's not true. Matter is a derivative of consciousness. Meaning, the reason there's gashmius is because I think there's gashmius. Now, this is secular physics. This is not. Uh, this is not Tanya. The reason there's Gashmias is because I think there's Gashmias. There's no Gashmias. Matter is a derivative of consciousness. All matter is a product of my thoughts. Because my eyes, my eyes have certain, certain kishrainas. My eyes have a certain misgeris. They have a certain personality. They have certain instruments. They have tools that my eyes use and my brain uses to determine reality. So I look at the table and what do I see? I see a table. Consciousness is not a derivative of matter. Matter is a derivative of consciousness. Change your mind and change your find. And we all know today with microscopes, if I would have microscopic eyes, I would look at a concrete, physical, dead reality and I would see... It's much more alive than I would ever imagine. Even one drop of water. Never mind something larger in the world. It's so dynamic. It's so alive. If you can get to see the atomic structure of anything, you see the movement, the life, the vibrancy, the harmony, the electrons revolving around the nucleus of the atom in this constant, incessant orbit, which is astronomical, in its precision, and its meticulousness, and also how many, how many in one tiny drop of water, how many atoms, beyond human imagination. But who sees this? So we know even from a very physical, scientific perspective, if my eye would be more open to be able to be, and have the ability to see deeper layers of reality, nothing would be dead, everything would be alive. Comes Dalter Rebbe and says, yeah, you know what you would see? You would see the ayin aliki. You wouldn't see a yesh. You would see the ayin aliki. You would see what we call nothingness. What we call nothingness, that's what you would see. It's interesting because 99.9% of an atom is empty space. So really, when I look at anything, what should I see? I should see 99% empty space. But my eyes don't like ayin. So my eye makes up one big, one big yesh, one big chalant. I take 
the little, little, tiny matter, and that becomes the focus, and it fills in the gaps for them. Who sees empty space? Because the ayin turns reality into its own, a product of its own experiences. There's no reality. The reality is a product of my consciousness, of my perspective on reality. A different perspective is a different reality. So, ilu What happens if the eyes would see everything? What would we see? If your eyes and my eyes would see reality, what would we see? There's still, still a world, Hashem makes the world. But what would you see? You would see that the whole yesh is simply a manifestation of the divine. So everything is really divine. So if the doors of our perception were cleansed, everything would appear as is, infinite. So that would be bitl b'metzius. You would cease to be separate. You would cease to be a metzius. Your whole metzius would be a manifestation of the kayachaliki. Ezel chacham haraya sanoilat. The Chavra understand? If I state. Al derech zemuvan linyan hasagas inyan yashmiyayan. Avol mikol makayim sipur shvachir shal makim binyan isavas yashmiyayan. Avshem be hasaga who pile his spilus. Even though there's no hasaga in yashmiyayan, I don't really get it. I can talk about it, but I don't really grasp it. Because if I would really grasp it, what would happen? There would be nobody to grasp. <laughs> if I would really grasp it, I wouldn't grasp it. You understand what I just said? If I would grasp it, there would be no eye to grasp. So I don't want to grasp it. Something, sometimes we don't want to understand something. You know why? Because if we understand it, we're going to have to change. <laughs> it's much better not to understand it. It's right. I'd say one of the big motives of people not to understand things. They understand everything, but they tell themselves that they don't understand. We call it in English playing dumb. But I don't mean playing dumb consciously, I mean playing dumb subconsciously. But I make believe, my consciousness tells me I don't understand anything. Because if I do understand, my whole life has to change. Who, who, who wants to do that? So it's better I remain a tippish, I remain a tam, and I say, mazois, mazois, or and then I don't have to change. The moment you get it, you can't be the same person. So who wants to get it? I think I once told you, very geschmacke Indian, geschmacke Wort. There was a Yid Chaim Potak. Chaim Potak was a Jew who lived in Philadelphia. He passed away a few years ago. He was a very talented writer. I think he was officially a conservative rabbi. He went to yeshiva. He was an educated man. He wrote a lot, a lot of books. Very famous books. The Chosen, uh, Book of Light. My name is Ashelev. He was very popular in his day. And uh, he was an interesting person. His name was Potak. He was a very famous Jewish writer and novelist. So uh, I once heard from him. He said this. He said that uh, he was being interviewed or something. I, so I, I heard him say, he said, that throughout his life, he used to come a lot of times to the Fabrengans of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, but he never went on Yechidus. He never went into her private meeting with the Rebbe. Now he was around in the 40s and the 50s. He was a student in New York in the seminary, I think. The 60s, I mean. And he knew about it. He said he never went. He never came for her. Why? He said, I'll tell you why. He said, because I heard that the Rebbe is so charismatic and he has such a powerful personality. I was afraid that if I'm going to go meet him privately, I'm going to lose my objectivity. And I'll just become another chassid. <laughs> He's going to affect me too deeply. So I wanted to retain a distance, so I could be objective, I could be critical. So I would go to Fabrengens, I could listen to him, I could watch him. But to go face to face with him, I would have lost my objectivity towards him. I would have been drawn in based on, on, on what I suspected when, when I heard him and I heard about him and I saw him. So I decided I have to keep my distance and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and not get too close. Because if I get too close, there's, there's no going back. Interesting word. So my brother, Simon, told me that he was once doing a Shabbaton in New Jersey, Rutgers University in New Jersey. Rutgers, Rabbi Kalbach. And who else was at the Shabbaton? Chaim Potak. 
my brother Rabbi Simon Jacobson and Chaim Potak were together doing Shabbos. So Chaim Potak said this at the lecture Friday night. He said that he never, he never wanted to meet the Rebbe personally so that he shouldn't become subjective. He should always be able to remain distant. So when my brother stood up, he said, unfortunately, unfortunately, I can't say that about myself, <laughs> that I have that uh, objectivity. I did go into the Rebbe, and I was by the Rebbe a lot. And uh, it did affect me very deeply. But then he said, Mr. Potak, or Dr. Potak, I want to ask you a question. Because Chaim Potak was very proud of this. He said, I want to ask you a question. He said, I don't mean to compare it exactly, but it's just a, a question that, that I'm thinking about. If you lived in the generation of the Jews that left Egypt, and Moses was telling the Jews, and you were one of them, tomorrow we're going to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God is going to reveal himself to you. Would have you refused to be at Sinai so that you should be able to be objective? Because once you're by Har Sinai and Ponim Ponim Dibur Hashem how objective can you be about faith? Or you would say, no, sorry, I can't be at Matan Taida because I have to retain my distance so I could be objective. I could write articles, maybe there's God, maybe there's no God. And this is an important vart in life. We're so afraid of being brainwashed. We're so afraid of losing our individuality, of losing our personality, that we can't touch truth anymore because I'm going to be brainwashed. Now, it's good to be very critical. It's good. It's good to avoid... People are brainwashed. People are in cults. People lose their critical thinking power. But what? that's a question. If you had an opportunity to be at Har Sinai, would you say, sorry, objectivity is not something to be worshipped. This was his mistake. Objectivity is a tool to be able to find real MS. What happened in these days is objectivity became an avodah Oh, you're subjective? Oh, you're brainwashed. Yeah, it's a dreta. Yeah, I'm a You're objective? I'm a chaya, baruch Hashem. <laughs> you're a koifer? Baruch Hashem, you're objective. It's a shtus. And what if it's emes? And what if it's emes? Shaita. You're the biggest shaita. Objectivity, I don't mean personal that you're a shaita, I mean the concept. Objectivity is a tool that you shouldn't fall prey to every charlatan, you shouldn't fall prey to bias. You shouldn't fall prey to blind spots. You shouldn't be involved in confirmation bias. You should be critical. You should look for the truth. Not what you like, but what the emiss is. But if you're going to be at Har Sinai, you're going to experience Atzmus Saint Sof, but you're not going to be there. So that you should be able to be objective, should be able to be in darkness for the rest of your life and be mesupik. The Baal Shem Tev said, it says in, in Dvarim, Hashem tells Moshe, we're reading these weeks, Ki Hashem alekecha, Moshe tells the Jews, Ki Hashem, Hashem is fire. So the Baal Shem said, what's Pshati's fire? With fire is one of two things. Either you stay away, or you become part of it, you become consumed by it. If somebody says, I'm going to stick my hand into fire, but not too much, because I want to remain objective. Then just stay away. The moment a person sticks their hand in fire, it's sakonos nefashos. Either you stay away and you enjoy the fire from a distance, or you get consumed in it. Hashem alekech eish oichlu. Elekus is eish. If it's emes, it requires bitl b'metzius. And if it's not emes, so stay away. Stay away. But this is not easy for people. Because I want the cake and I want to eat it too. So my mind tells me I don't understand. Because if I would understand, <laughs> then I would have to change my life. It's much better. I'm not sure. I don't understand. You do. Of course you understand. What, what, what don't you understand? Of course you understand. You're making believe that you don't understand so that you could continue to be a victim. Because if I understand, how can I be a victim? I know the truth. I'm not saying we do this consciously always, but sometimes subconsciously, I, I, I make myself dumb, because if I understand, nothing is going to be the same ever again. So, Mela, I don't understand. So that's what the Rebbe is saying here. The moment is, you're not the same person. 
So hasaga and yeshmeyayin we don't have. But his spilus from yeshmeyayin, his spilus from yeshmeyayin, that we have. That we have. That's what he says. Hupoyal is spilus. That's why it's called Psukhi de Zimna. It's a song. What does a song do to a person? You don't have to understand the song, but you're moved by a song. MS. You hear a niggin, you, you always understand it? No, but it touches you. It moves you. It's a, it's a hispilus. You hear a beautiful niggin, you understand it? You're, ne- you're not necessarily a music connoisseur, you know how it was written, how it was composed, what to know is, how to sing it, exactly the chush that's being expressed. You don't always understand it. But you're moved by it. It touches you. You're not the same person. You're affected by it. So it's called Psuki de Zimna. Psuki de Zimna is, is a nigin. It's a nigin. It's a shit of a zimna. Psuki de Zimna, you say with a nigin. You have to say it with a nigin. It's a nikud of his spilus. You're singing a song. How does it affect a person? It's called engraving, an engraving within the soul from outside, even if not from inside, from outside. When you have a kais, a cup, there's a chakikim ibifnim, there's engraving it from inside, and then there's a chikikim ibachutz, as he will explain, the engraving it from the outside. Psukka de Zimna is not yet a chikikim ebifnim, but it's a chikikim ebachutz. Let me take some questions. It takes so much work and it takes so much time to see the divine reality in everything. But with LSD or other psychedelics, one can see this by just swallowing it once. We live in a microwave, instant age. And that's why many people want to take these substances, because it allows them to see it immediately. (laughs) Okay, how do you want me to respond to that? So you mean, you want me instead of giving a shear here in the morning, I should do something else with everybody? Is that a suggestion? So the Nikud is as follows. Uh, the bottom line is that stimulation that comes from the outside, even if it's very, very powerful, and sometimes it brings certain people to certain levels of awareness, but ultimately you have to find the panemius, you have to find it inside of you. And that's what Chassidus does. You're right, chassidus is not, uh, you learn it and you're, you're flying high. It doesn't work that way. But it's a pnimi, it's it becomes part of you. It becomes part of your nefesh Bahamas. When you learn and learn and learn chassidus and you think about it, I mean with a good teacher. I don't mean to learn the words. People learn the words, they don't understand it. You learn it with yourself or a chavrusa or a good teacher. You internalize it. You understand it according to your ability. And you live with it. You breathe it. You live with it, you daven with it, you learn with it, you live it. You become a different person. It's not just you have a substance and you're open to a new reality. And I'm not denying the fact that there were certain individuals at certain stages of their life that these things you described opened them up to new realities. But the question is, what happens afterwards? When you become used to living on an alternate reality as a result of a drug... Ultimately, it's not authentic. And anything that's not authentic is not going to last. We have to be able to internalize these things. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Can you give a practical example of how to approach a difficult challenge, knowing it's only divine energy, and how not to become a victim of it, yet how to be present to the details it manifests in the matter if matter is a derivative of consciousness. So tell us how we can approach a difficult challenge knowing it's divine energy, not to become a victim of it, and be present to the details in the matter 
if matter is derivative of consciousness? You think this question was written by a man or by a woman, Chavra? What do you think? Well, there's a lot to say about this. The only thing I would say, it's, it's, it's a pretty long discussion. We spoke about this many times, but the only point I would say is, <laughs> somebody says it was for sure a woman, not a man. <laughs> Men are not looking for practical examples, yeah? Yesh v'yesh. Okay. The only thing I would say is that, uh, like he says here in the Maimah, we can't always comprehend it, or maybe we could never really comprehend it, but we could, we could allow it to move us. And I think what that means in every moment is, sometimes we have a very big challenge, and we have a very painful situation on our hands, and we have to deal with a complicated reality. But if we realize that at every single moment right now, the world and our brain and our thought processes are being created, and the truth of this moment is elikus, it's the ayin heliki, it doesn't take away the fact that this is the reality I'm dealing with. But what it means is two things. First of all, I'm not powerless. I'm not stuck. We're not stuck in a particular situation. This is how it is. We're stuck. We can be creative. We could look out of the box because all of matter is out of the box. The moment we look at things in a stuck fashion, in the box, it means we're not in touch with reality. To be in touch with reality means that you could think out of the box because everything is being created right now. And if it's being created right now, so don't get stuck in the present reality what we call the power of now. Everything is happening right now, this very moment. Could I look at it from a very fresh perspective? And my perspective has an impact on the reality. Because if I could see a different reality, if I could see things in a different way, I'm actually tuning in to a different level of reality where they are a different way. So this is part of what we do. And in, in, in a very practical way, what this means is, let's say somebody's being confronted and the situation is very, very painful. You can't necessarily eliminate the pain and everything is dandy and everything is wonderful and everything is perfect. But what I could say is that behind everything that's going on, there's a lakus, there's an ayin aliki in every single yesh, meaning in every conversation, in every mitzias in my very brain cells, in the neurons that are being fired, everything, there's a kayach over there. And therefore, if I don't get so nispal, if I don't get so affected by the external yesh, and I look for the ayin aliki, you know what can happen here? What can happen here is, I can find how this experience is actually meaningful and purposeful. And it can help me grow and can help me become more divine. If you want to put it in other words, as somebody put it this way, every moment and every experience is God reaching out to me and saying, I want a relationship with you. Can we look at life that way? So you'll say, what do you mean? What a relationship? This and this happened. My child said this. My husband said this. My wife said this. My mother said this. My father said this. My mother-in-law said this. My father-in-law said this. My employer, my employee, they said this. And we had an argument and we had a debate and we had a problem and we had a struggle. What, what, where's their, where's their eye in here? It's real. That's real. That's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm feeling. And you have to be able to respect that because we live in the world where Hashem made yesh and He didn't make ayin. He made yesh But, the question I have to ask myself is, can I look at all of this and then say, all of this ultimately is being powered and energized by the divine. There's an ayin here. And if I could look at that ayin, even from my limited perspective, can I actually perceive this as an opportunity and an invitation from the Rebbeinu Shalaylam to get closer to him, which means to get closer to myself to uncover another layer behind the external yesh, to go much deeper into myself and find that. And when you could do that, when I can do that, we align the yesh with the ayin. 
This is one way of one way of dealing with all this. Of course, there's a lot to say, and it's really this is the that each of us has to figure out. You know. Next question. The answer that chemicals are temporary and external, whereas learning these things becomes permanent and internal, is the point I wanted to show. Okay, very good. I wish everybody a very wonderful day and a beautiful day. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.